Well, we started this series now, what, several weeks ago, and uh, we kind of focused on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And uh, out of that one verse, we anchored kind of this entire series on this simple phrase that, that more is attainable because God is able. That God wants immeasurably more for our lives. He truly does. I hope you believe that. I hope you sense that, that God wants more, but it's according to his power and his strength. But intuitively, we all know that there's kind of this battle being waged, and we kind of use this symbol of a hand and a heart, where the hand represents kind of what we say, what we do, or outward actions. And we kind of default there to my talents and my passions and my abilities and my intellect and me, 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 me. I can do it all. But yet we know that within us, within our inner being, Paul calls it, there's this struggle going on to what we should do and we shouldn't do, or we shouldn't do and we should do. And there's this battle being raged within us. We see it in our own lives, and we see it in the media. I mean, if you watched any news or read any news this week, it was the Lance Armstrong Oprah interview. And for me, I, I'm an avid uh, 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 watcher of, of cycling. I love it. The Tour de France, every July, I'm glued to my TV. I'll watch every stage I possibly can. And I tell you, all along, I've said, yeah, Lance is, yeah, he's cheated. They all have. He's the best of the best of the cheaters. That's still an accomplishment somewhere, right? I mean, it's like, you know, I love, there's this article, and they, they talked about where, you know, like, no one, the seven Tour de France's that uh, he won, no one's going to get the title. They can't give it to anyone else. Like the next 10 spots below them, all have been found guilty of cheating. Like, okay. Like, do they go to number like 235 on the list? Like, how do they do that? But for me, the saddest part was the catalyst that got Lance to finally admit It's when Lance overheard his oldest boy, Luke, defending him. When he overheard his son going, my dad's not a liar. I trust my dad. He said he didn't cheat, and he didn't cheat. I put myself in Lance's shoes at that point. Because his boy doesn't care what he did. His boy was defending who he really is on the inside. I sat there, I'm like, I I, I hope. I hope my girls never have to go through something like that. I hope I never have to come to my girls and say, well, who your dad is is on the outside is different than who he is on the inside. And you see, that's why God cares so much about our inner being. God knows you're talented. God knows you're gifted. God knows your abilities and passions. He created you. And he said, I did great. His concern is about your heart. That's where the battle is being waged. And so last week we talked about that when you accept Christ and Christ comes into your life, we're promised 
that the Spirit will dwell within us. And that word dwell is this ongoing, not this momentary kind of event, but it's this ongoing growing and changing and deepening part of your inner being, your spiritual self. And that's where God wants you to focus on. What's going on on the inside? Because he knows that whatever goes on on the inside will come out by what you say and do. And we all know that. In the real self-reflective moments of our lives, when, when we allow ourselves to be, we know that. Last week, I challenged everyone to take a spiritual step. And if you couldn't make it uh, last week, you missed it, or maybe this is your first time here today, I, I just encourage you, go on our website. Uh, our uh, podcasts have been available for years and years and years, and we're just getting now video online. And so you can go on to renaissancechurch.org, and you can actually watch the message part of the service now. And we're working with Apple to get uh, the subscription part of, of, of our video a podcast available as well. But um, I just want you go back. You got to listen to last week because last week fits into this week. But take a spiritual step. One of those spiritual steps I suggested was to, to develop a to-be list. And it's been great talking with some people and following some people on Facebook and Twitter is, is people are literally working through their to-be list. How's your to-be list right now? And maybe you're sitting there going, oh, that's right. I was supposed to do something. <laughs> yeah, develop a to-be list. After service today, a great step that you can take is to sign up for the project. Uh, the project is something we're kicking off again on February, February 9th and 10th that weekend. And it's four weeks, basically four hours of your life. And it's helping people take spiritual steps. And if you accepted Christ last weekend or maybe sometime this week, you kind of took that step. The project's for you. It's a great opportunity for you to ask questions and learn and grow and get to know people. Uh, if you're not there yet spiritually, but you have a bunch of questions, the project's for you. If you've been a Christ follower for decades, the project is for you. It's helping people take those steps. Uh, we feel like your spiritual walk, your spiritual journey is your greatest project to work on. You, working on your heart. So again, we made it real easy. After service today, go out to the lobby. You'll see a massive banner that says the project, easy, and a computer. Look at that. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to remember to stop by the cafe. Go right instead of left when you leave. Take a step. Keep growing. Don't push pause. So I started thinking through kind of this one kind of thought question in my brain. What's, what's the, the, the kind of the common denominator, the common strand through all of our now what moments? Where there's those uh, kind of peak mountaintop now what moments where you kind of lean back and you smile and you're excited and you're thinking forward or those valley now what moments where life's dark and you try to look forward and it's cloudy and the unknown and, 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 and the uncertainty just kind of engulfs you. What's that common strand? And it's simply this, people. I actually walked up to my wife uh, as I was working on this, and I said, hey, honey, I have this thought. I'm going to say uh, that, you know, 100% of all of our now what moments include people. I go, don't you think that's true? And she paused and looked at me, and she goes, nope. Okay, 99.9%. Uh, no. I'm like, well, okay, I haven't been, been able to come up with a now what moment that doesn't include people in my life. And she, without blinking, she goes, well, what if you get a flat tire on the highway? 
true. That, that doesn't include people, but is that really an intense now what moment? Beyond that, I'm sure you got a flat tire because there's a nail on the highway, which means someone dropped a nail. So that's a person. Yeah. But right, people are in all of our now what moments. They're everywhere. And maybe it's you. You worked hard so you got that promotion, but still someone gave that to you. Or maybe you developed a company. Well, it's still you, and I'm sure there's people around you helping you accomplish that. People. We live in this civilized country, don't we? But civility is rapidly decreasing. See, we look at this simple definition of civility. Courtesy, politeness. A polite action or expression. And now on the surface, uh, you might be thinking, yeah, civility is about uh, being uh, civil to people on the surface, but right when they walk away, you give them a look, or right when they walk away, you get on your phone and you tell someone what you really think about them, right? That's being civil. But the real definition of civility has everything to do with caring for that person. Seeing that person as an end of themselves. But usually what happens is we start viewing people as the means to our end. What do I need from that person so that I can be successful? What do I need from that person so I can feel better? What do I need from that person so that I can? What do I need from that person? True civility has everything to do with wanting that person to succeed, wanting that person to thrive, wanting that person to excel, and has nothing to do with you. An organization did a country-wide kind of a survey, and they asked some simple questions, and none of this data is going to be a surprise, I don't think, for anyone. But yet when you sit there and you start getting into people's psyches, It just paints this picture for what we all deal with on a daily basis. Kind of the first question they asked was this. Generally speaking, do you believe there's a major problem, minor problem, or not much of a problem with the general tone and level of civility in the country today? And 65% of the people said, no, it's a major problem. 29% said it's a minor problem. And only 6% said not much of a problem at all. And I would love to talk with those 6% of the people. Like, what? What planet are you living on? What island have you set? I mean, that's just ridiculous. But what we know is between minor problem and major problem, there's all different levels and degrees, right? But we would all kind of probably agree, yeah, yeah, civility, it's a major deal in our country today. In our workplaces, on the roads, (laughs) in politics, everywhere. The second follow-up was compared to a few years ago, Do you think the general tone and level of civility in this country today is better, worse, or about the same? And 72% of people said, no, 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 it's worse. As I look back, I mean, that's significant. But this is the one that kind of made me pause a little bit. I'll tell you what I think about During the next few years, do you expect the general tone and level of civility in the country to get better, get worse, or stay about the same? I mean, through these other uh, results, I mean, it it was pretty clear, 
the majority of the people thought one way. But when you got to this question, looking forward, it, it begins to even out a little bit. And I think it gets to the heart that people desire. People desire to live in a civil environment. They want civility to increase. People really desire to have great relationships, even though they look around them today and look back at history and they see it decreasing. They really want it to increase. Where they hope that people will start treating each other better. Well, Paul jumps into this because, you see, Paul understood that, that relationships are going to be in the middle of all of our now what moments. And it really comes to how are we going to treat people in those now what moments. And today, there's going to be four attributes that I'm just going to challenge you to really think through. And what I want you to do is we talk through these attributes to kind of just pause. And you, you will naturally want to think of other people who do not have these attributes by name. Just keep focus on yourself. Remember, all you, all you can do is worry about you. Right? You, you can't change other people's behavior. But you can start working on you. So Paul jumps in on Ephesians chapter 4. He says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, that word urge is literally, he's saying, I beg you. Like, pay attention to this. This is important. This is something that you need to not just listen to, but hold on to and put into practice. This is something that you must pay attention to. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This word worthy is, is incredible because it gets back to this, this whole kind of mental picture of a beam being balanced or scales being balanced. And this, this worthy of the, the call, what Paul was talking about was if you've taken the step to accept Christ, that's your profession. You've made that profession of faith. And he says there's this balance between your profession, this, this moment where you receive Christ and he starts living in you and through you and making you new again. There's a difference between that and your practice, what you do. And he says it, it needs to be balanced. That's what worthy means, balanced. And so many times our profession goes way up, but our practice goes way down. He didn't say perfection. Right? We all get it. This isn't a perfection thing. But that we diligently work on balancing our step to accept Christ in that profession of faith and how our lives are lived out. For some of you, coming back for church was difficult because you were around so many people where their profession was way up and their practice was way down. You balance that out. But remember, it's, it's not perfection. And we're going to see that today in these four attributes. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, I'm not sure for you, but do you look at those, 
kind of four attributes, humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love? Do you kind of look at that list and kind of go, yeah, nope, this is Northeast, can't do those, right? Don't you want to do that? Like, you're like, I can't be gentle. If I go to my job tomorrow and I'm gentle, Chris, have you ever seen Wall Street? I can't be gentle, patient. I'll get fired if I try to be patient. Like, there's just no way I can accomplish this. Well, love, maybe. Okay, we can maybe talk about that, but these other three, there's just no way. You see, we, we read those words in our context. And what I want to do is take you on a journey 2,000 years ago when Paul was writing this letter and what those words truly, truly mean. Because they're going to paint an entirely different picture for you. You see that word humble? In kind of the ancient Greek, that word was used for slaves as a derogatory term. They would use that word to say, hey, you slave, you low-minded, you worth nothing. You see, slaves were lower than dogs. They had no value of human life. They're treated like just an object, like a pot, a pan, a slave. And so in the ancient Greek culture, that word was used for slaves. And Paul came in and he took that word and he repurposed it. And I could just imagine this group of people in Ephesus as they're reading this letter and they get to that word and they're like, whoa, hey, whoa, man, that's, that's a bad word. And Paul was saying to them, hey, underneath God, all people are equal. Underneath God, all people. It's what Jesus modeled himself. When Jesus sat down with a woman, women were treated like slaves, property. They had no value in that society. And when Jesus started to bring women in and sit down, he raised them up in a culture that said, no, they're, they're worth nothing. When Jesus said, let the little children come to me, do you realize that children had no value in that culture until they got to a certain age? They wouldn't even give children names because they weren't sure if they're going to live or die. So why invest in, 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 a name into a child where they didn't know? And when Jesus said, let the little children come to me, people were shocked because he leveled. He showed value to people that had no value. When he started to interact with other cultures that were shunned, he leveled the playing field. He showed value. And when Paul wrote this word humble, he said, hey, all people, no matter race, no matter gender, no matter social economic standards, no matter what, all people underneath God have the same value. The question for you is this, how do you value people? Or do you start putting people on different levels? And some people you won't give time to because they're not at a certain standard. Or certain employees you don't give time to because they're not in your inner circle and they're not gonna help you get to where you wanna be. How do you show value? To your spouse? Is your time more important than your spouse's time? Are your priorities more important than your spouse's priorities? 
are your hobbies more important than your spouse's priorities or who you're dating or whoever else is in your relational sphere? Do you show value understanding that all people underneath God are equal? It's humble. He goes on. He says, gentle. The actual definition to gentle, I love this. Controlled strength. Controlled strength. Where when you encounter a situation and you want to tear someone's head off, not literally, that'd be bad, but verbally, where you encounter a situation and maybe that person lied to you. Maybe that person uh, 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 did something to cut you out. Maybe that person is at fault, but in that moment, you, you desire to go after them and you show controlled strength. Where you pull yourself back because guess what? It takes more strength to control yourself to show restraint than it does to go after someone. So when someone wrongs you, what's your first response? When someone lies to you, what's your response? When someone cuts you off tomorrow morning driving to work, what's your response? When your boss, what's your response? When your spouse, what's your response? When your kids, what's your response? How are you going to respond in these moments? Are you going to show gentleness? Are you going to show restraint? Well, that one then ties into this next one. Be patient. Patience is a characteristic of God. And you start thinking about how much patience God has had with you. Think about that for a moment. God's patience with you. How do you show patience with those around you? You see, it's so easy for all of us to want people to be patient with us. Right? You hedge the truth. You, you verbally just cut someone off. You position a statement. You hurt someone. I mean, it, you name the scenario. And, and your response is, oh, I'm sorry, like, just forgive me and make it all, all, all good. I was just having a bad day. I wasn't thinking clearly. And you just want people to quickly just wipe the slate clean with you. But yet, if, when, when someone does that to you, oh, they got to earn it. They got to work for it. I, I don't know. I got to see. And patience is about taking a breath, and realizing that people are going to hurt you, and people are going to say things out of a selfish motive, a selfish angle. People are going to to do things on purpose or not on purpose or kind of on purpose. Why? Because the heart just like you are. And patience is understanding how God has been so patient with you. 
And because God has been so patient with you, you extend patience to people around you. Take a breath. Slow down. I'm not saying don't have a conversation with someone. I'm not saying don't confront someone with love. I'm not saying that that there's some people that continually uh, verbally abuse or physically abuse you. I'm not saying that put yourself in danger. What I'm saying is allow people to be messy because all of us are messy. And then he ends with bearing with one another in love. Kind of the big word is forbearance. And what it means is that you are committed to lifting each other up. What a thought. Where you lift each other up. Where you understand that every single person has their own kind of quirks, their own idiosyncrasies, their own uh, uh, way that they see this world, how they process this world, how they articulate this world. And you just understand that that's the beauty of creation, that every single person sees things differently and you're committed, you're committed to say, yes, let's lift each other up. Even if they're a little weird, lift each other up. Even if you don't get how they view this world, lift each other up. Even if they irritate you, lift each other up. Why? You go back to to Ephesians chapter 3, you understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. And the amount of love that he has for you is the amount of love you should show to each other. Out of these four, there's one that I'm sure hit a nerve because you struggle with it. For me, it's gentleness, showing restraint. It's difficult for me to control my response. Because remember, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. And for me, I I talk. I'm a very verbal processing person. And on one side, that's great. It's a great gift. On the other side, I can leverage that and really hurt people. Especially those closest with me. Out of this list, what's the one that you need to focus on? And we want to give just a few moments, and we're going to walk back through these, and I'm just going to ask some questions. It's for you to wrestle with. Again, don't think of other people around you. Think about you and invite God into you so that he can work within you. Because to be totally transparent, this is beyond our power. This must be Christ dwelling within us to give us the strength to help us as we interact with people. If you just try to do this on your own, you will fail. But with 
God's Spirit dwelling within you, strengthening you, giving you wisdom, giving you insight. These attributes can come alive within you. First one, humility. To value others. How do you treat people? Do you show value to people or do you look down on them? What do you need to do to show value to the people with whom you interact? Gentleness. In what areas do you need to show restraint? To whom haven't you shown restraint? I'm sure there's a name that might pop into your mind right now. I encourage you to go and ask and seek forgiveness from those that you haven't shown restraint. Patience. Take a breath and slow down. Ask God to give you the strength to extend patience to those difficult people in your life. Remember the patience that God has given you. Forbearance. Whom do you need to come beside and lift up? Whom do you need to encourage? value others. Gentleness, show restraint. Patience, take a breath and slow down. Forbearance, lift each other up. You might be sitting there going, thinking to yourself, Ah, Chris, yeah, I know I need to treat better, people better. I know that these four attributes, I'm not doing great in several of them. But I'm having a difficult moment of life. I'm having a difficult now what moment. I, I, I don't have the emotion to give to people. I, I don't have the energy to give to people. If you knew what was going on in my now what moment right now, you'd understand why it's difficult for me to treat people better. And the people around me, they, they understand that. No, they don't. They understand that. Did you catch where Paul was writing this letter from? 
We read it. Prison. In prison 2,000 years ago, it wasn't like prison today. He didn't have electricity and cable and laundry service and three square meals a day. Prison 2,000 years ago was this dungeon dug underneath ground, uh, underneath the ground, uh, surrounded by rock, no light, no fresh air. It's one of the scariest places to, to be in. You were fed like slaves. Barely anything at all. The only way you could survive in jail is people actually brought you food. You see, Paul's now what moment? Was in a, a pit, a, a literal pit of despair. And Paul says, guess what? doesn't matter your surroundings. doesn't matter what's going on in your life. doesn't matter how difficult life gets. doesn't matter how emotionally intense life gets. doesn't matter if it's fair or unfair. It doesn't matter what's going on in your now what moments. Treat people with humility. Show value. Be gentle controlled strength. Be patient because you understand how God has been so patient with you. Take a breath. And love each other by lifting each other up. You see, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. God can still change you from the inside out. So as you go this week, As you get up and you face another day of work, another day on the roads, another day dealing with people that irritate you, another day of trying to to navigate through just personal relationships, another day, the question is not how people are going to treat you. The question is, how are you going to treat others? So maybe tomorrow morning when you wake up and before you get out of bed, You invite God into that journey with you. Ask him for the strength. Ask him for the wisdom. Because God wants to do immeasurably more through you according to his power, not yours. According to his strength, not yours. According to his wisdom, not yours. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together. Lord, I just, uh, I pray because I know that the church has the ability to change and shift culture for the good and for the bad. And in this area, we have the ability to bring civility, the true definition of civility, back into our culture where we interact. Lord, I pray, personally from just myself, that you will give me the strength to be humble and gentle and patient and loving. Lord, I pray that in those moments that we're all going to interact with this coming week, where where we're going to want to react to, to relationship scenarios, Lord, I just pray that we will just pause long enough, take a breath, and maybe...
just react differently because you have promised that you'll give us the strength. In your name I pray, amen.